Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 94th program in this series. In this program, I'm in the Gospel of John, chapter 16. This is the conversation that takes place between Jesus and his disciples before he is arrested and then crucified. So these are the things that Jesus speaks with his disciples about. But reviewing what he said in verse 12, this is in John chapter 16, verse 12. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. He makes it clear to them that they have limitations, that there is a limitation concerning what they can understand how much they can understand. And so this gives him a limitation with regards to what he can share. He can share a lot, but they simply cannot bear. They're not going to be able to understand or comprehend or be able to process what it is that he has to say, what he could say to them. In this program, I'd like to look ahead just for a moment into verse 25, and then I'll come back to verse 16. In verse 25, when Jesus was speaking to them, he said, These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. It's another way of saying that they cannot understand all that he really wants to say. And so he is speaking to them in a figurative way, in an abstract way, He's telling them many things figuratively, but the day is going to come when he will speak to them plainly, directly, in a way that they will be able to understand. Now, there are two things that are related to this. The first thing is that there will be a change in us. And the second thing is that there will be a change in the way that he communicates. Now, I've been taking the position while presenting these programs in this series, I have been taking the position that Jesus is giving people an opportunity to reject him, that he gives people a way to deny what Jesus is saying. He speaks to them in a way that if they do not want to accept him as the Messiah, he gives them enough of a way out that they can just choose not to believe what he is saying. He doesn't speak plainly for the most part because he wants to give people enough uncertainty that if they don't really want to know, then they don't have to know. If they don't really want to believe, then they don't have to believe. If they do not want to truly acknowledge the living God, then he speaks to them with just enough uncertainty that they can deny God. They can just simply state, well, I don't understand. I don't get it. I don't know what he's talking about. He does give them enough that if they want to know, they can understand. 
they can believe. But if they don't really want to know, if they don't really want to believe, mainly because of the consequences that would be related to their belief in Jesus, but if they don't really want to believe in Jesus, if they don't really want to believe in him as the Messiah, if they don't really want to believe in the God who he is representing, he is speaking figuratively enough that they can simply deny what it is that he is saying. The other part of this is not just his speech and his style of speech, but the other part of this had to do with the fact that everyone was spiritually dead. They did not have the Spirit of God dwelling within them. They were spiritually dead, which meant that they could not understand the things of God because the Spirit of God had not made them alive through his indwelling presence. They did not have the personal connection between themselves and their God so that there could be this unique communication that could take place between God and a person because of his close proximity of dwelling within them, because of him being personally connected spirit to spirit, because of his presence, he needed to make people into a new creation, a new creation in Christ Jesus, so that a new kind of relationship could be established and so that we can understand the things of God because we have the Spirit of God dwelling within us who can reveal to us all truth, and through the revelation of the truth, we can be changed and transformed. When these two things are synchronized, first of all, God is going to speak in a plain and in a direct way. And the second thing is that we are resurrected and made into a different person, made into a new creation. We have the proper spiritual connection with our creator because he dwells within our spirit, his spirit to our spirit. When both of those things are synchronized, when both of these things are established and put in place and are fully operational, when this happens, which is what happens upon salvation, when this takes place, then God will be able to speak to us plainly. We will be able to understand him plainly and clearly because, of course, everything is different. Everything has changed. Everything will change through salvation so that this can be possible. Now, when a person is saved, that doesn't necessarily mean that God is now going to just unload everything upon a person. Absolute revelation of all the mysteries of the universe, that is definitely not going to happen. This is the beginning of a new life. It is the beginning of a relationship with your God. And the growth and change that a person experiences is an individual experience that happens over a period of time. So again, in verse 25, these things I've spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. And this will be fulfilled once they are resurrected from the dead, once they are saved and they are made into a new creation. That is when this can begin to take place. Now, going back to the beginning of John chapter 16, what Jesus was explaining was that there was going to be an individual relationship 
between God and the people of humanity that was about to take place. Up until this point, there was a collective relationship between God and the nation of Israel and humanity in general. But because of what Jesus is about to accomplish through the crucifixion, the resurrection, the invocation of a new covenant, there will now be an individual relationship between God and people. There will be a division between people in humanity. The division is going to be between those who believe in their God in accordance with the testimony of Jesus and those who do not. Of those who do not, he explained that he will convict the world of sin, the fact that they do not believe in him, and he spoke about that earlier. And then he spoke about the change that will take place between God and those who do believe in him. He will speak to them about all truth. He will tell them about things to come. And this is what I was explaining in the previous two programs. In this program, I'm going to proceed from verse 16. In verse 16, Jesus continues, and he says, A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Because I go to the Father. Jesus tells his disciples that he's about to go away, but they're going to see him again. He's going to come back, that there's going to be something that takes place between himself and the living God, his father, the heavenly father. He introduces this to them. He tells them, look, there is something that is about to happen. I am about to go away. He's already told them that he's about to go away. This is repetition of what he said earlier, and for the rest of chapter 16, this is the theme of what he presents. He presents to them, look, I'm going away. This is going to bother you, but don't worry, I'm coming back. We know that he came back after the resurrection. He came back and manifested himself to them in a new glorified state. And because of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God and Jesus as God manifested in the flesh, he will continue to reveal himself to people. He will continue to reveal the living God to people. This is what he will continue to do with everyone who is born again by the Spirit, who surrenders to the new covenant. So he goes on into this repetition again of what he said before. Again in verse 16, a little while and you will not see me. And again a little while and you will see me because I go to the Father. So he's going to go away through the crucifixion, his death and burial. He will go before the Father in this abstract context He will go before the Father, the living God. There will be a judgment, which will be an acceptance of what he did for humanity. And then, because of the invocation of the new covenant and because of all the changes that will take place, because of what Jesus did, he will return and he will speak to his disciples and begin the new relationship that will go into effect. In verse 17, then some of his disciples said among themselves, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I go to the Father, they said, therefore, what is this that he says? A little while. 
We do not know what he is saying. Now, I want you to notice that at the end of verse 18. We do not know what he is saying. What we have is we have a well-documented description of all that Jesus said, and we also have a clear description that his disciples didn't understand what he was saying. So we have the description of what he said, and we see that the disciples did not understand what he said. We can look at what he said. We can look at what Jesus said, and we can understand what Jesus was talking about. But that is because the things that Jesus spoke of have been fulfilled, historically speaking, and we have also been resurrected by the Spirit of God, so he can now speak to us plainly, as he said in verse 25, whereas he wasn't doing that with his disciples back then. But this is important to see in verse 18 that his disciples didn't have a clue. They did not understand what Jesus was saying. And even though nobody knew what he was saying, he just kept talking. He knew that nobody understood what he was saying. But he kept talking because he knew that this would be recorded and so people would be able to reflect back on what he said before. And we will understand later what he said. Now, I understand it could perhaps be better if people understood what he said right when he said it. But there's something for us to understand about the fact that he says many things, knowing that he will be understood later, not necessarily at the time that he is saying these things. And that this is good. This is something that he's okay with. He wants people to grow. He wants people to change. He wants maturity. He wants understanding to come to people when they are ready, when they are able to receive what he has to say, and to be able to reflect on this and to see that these are things that he has communicated long ago, long past, really is an opportunity for encouragement to see that God has not really been keeping secrets from anyone. That God does not have a communication problem of any kind. The problem is with us and our willingness to receive what he has to say. Verse 19, continuing into John chapter 16, verse 19. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, and he said to them, now just a moment here before we get into the second part of verse 19. Did they really want to ask him? I mean, did they really? He was right there. They could have asked him. Do you notice that? They don't ask Jesus what he's talking about. They just simply talk to each other. They speak to each other. They're asking each other. Do you understand? Oh, I don't understand. Did they really want to know? I would suggest that they didn't really want to know. Now, of course, Jesus does say that they are not able to understand, so we have to allow for that, that they are not able to understand. But there could be an opportunity for them to understand, and they're not taking it because they're not speaking to him. They are not asking him. They are asking each other. Now, you could suggest that they are asking one another, hoping that maybe one of them gets it and can explain it to them. Maybe there's one of them, one person. That is a possibility. And we need to allow for that remote possibility that maybe 
They were asking each other because they were genuinely wanting to know, and they suspected that at least one of them would have an understanding of what he was talking about, and they could explain it to them. There is the possibility that this is why they were talking with each other, even though Jesus was right there in front of them. But there is another possibility, and I think that this is more likely. And that is that they were asking each other because they knew that nobody understood what Jesus was really saying, and they were asking each other so that they could join together and say, we are those who do not understand. And so we can have a sense of safety with each other I certainly don't understand what he was saying, and you don't understand what he was saying, and so we can be together, we can feel safe with one another, because we are together in the sense that we do not understand what he's talking about. So asking each other to give an explanation is a way of escaping the explanation. It is a potential way to escape from knowing the truth. If they can hang around other people who don't know either, well, then they have a sense of safety from the truth, from reality. There is potential for there to be some of this. And so you could perhaps put this on a scale between one end of the scale, which was the end that would say that they genuinely want to know, they genuinely want to understand, and the other end of the scale that they just don't really want to get it. They are concerned about the consequences related to understanding, or they just simply recognize they don't understand, and they just don't want to pursue this anymore. Can they find others who also do not understand so they can be a part of that community of people who do not understand? And I would venture to say that each of the disciples would fit somewhere in between both ends of that scale. So again, considering verse 19, now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him. All right, so this is what I mean by being somewhere on this scale in between, that they may have had a desire to ask him, but how much of a desire? I mean, did they really, really desire a lot? Or was it just enough to say that they had this desire? I would venture to say that it was just enough for Jesus to know this, but it wasn't enough for them to actually ask him. And so he said at the end of verse 19, and he said to them, are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me? He asks them, are you asking amongst each other what I may have meant by what I said? Verse 20 He does not answer the question that he proposes. He just simply repeats again what he said and what he has said previously. In verse 20, most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. So he doesn't give him a better explanation. He just simply tells them again with repetition, I am going away. You're not going to understand anything. You're going to feel bad. This is nothing new compared to what he has already said to them. Continue forward because there is a parallel between verse 20 and verse 22. 
Going to verse 21, he gives the example of a woman in labor. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. He is just speaking figuratively about the fact that, yeah, they will be uncomfortable at first, but afterwards, at a later date, things will be different and they will have no regrets concerning the discomfort that they had previously. But then in verse 22, Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again And your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. Now, this is corresponding to verse 20. In verse 20, he says, I'm going to go away, and when I do, the world is going to be all excited. They're all going to be thrilled. They're going to rejoice, and you are going to be sad. But he says he's going to come back, and he will reveal himself to them, and then they will rejoice, and they will rejoice in a way that the world will not be able to take that away from them at all. And your joy no one will take from you. So he tells them that there are changes coming, but they need to go through these changes. They need to be patient They need to be understanding to the extent that they can understand. And the day will come when there will be a new revelation to them such that they will rejoice and no one will be able to take this kind of joy away from them. Jesus proclaims what he is about to do and he needs them to be patient, wait, watch, and allow Jesus to complete the work that he began. Continuing into verse 23, And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Now, they will ask the Father because they will recognize, they will understand that Jesus is the Father, that the Father manifested in the flesh as Jesus, that it is the same person. And to ask in Jesus' name is to ask with an acknowledgement that the only possible way that they could present their requests before God, that they could ask anything of him at all, is because of what Jesus did through his crucifixion and resurrection. It is because of the new covenant. It is because of the new creation. That is what gives us the ability to make our requests to God, because we are his children now. We are born again as a child of God. Everything is different. And so he repeats to them again the encouragement to ask, to ask things of God. And this is repetition from many passages previously that I've already spoken on. And so I'm not going to take the time to speak about this topic in the same way that I did before. I would just like to remind you about the key points related to this. The first thing that I would like to remind you about is the issue that through asking things of God, this will reveal to us a lot about ourselves because of what we are asking for, especially when he does not give us what we ask for. That will certainly reveal a lot about ourselves to us. 
It also shows us a lot about our God that we should pay attention to, especially when he does not give us what we want. When he does, this can show us something about that too. But I think it's very important for us to see that when he does not answer our requests, this becomes an opportunity for us to be reflective and for us to understand more about ourselves and our God, which, of course, is more important than having our requests answered, in my opinion. The revelation of us and the revelation of him that we may live in reality, in sober-minded reality, that we may live in the truth, that we may know ourselves, but especially that we may know our God more, is why he has resurrected us into eternal life. Now, in addition to asking him for things so that we may know ourselves and so that we may know our God, as he mentioned earlier, the Holy Spirit will reveal to us all that he has. And as we grow to know what he has to offer, which really is himself, we will ask him for what he has to offer, which is to give himself and the relational qualities that he has for us to us. And I will explain this more in the next program. Thank you for listening. This is the 94th program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I was in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verses 16 through 25. This is the end of the conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. He reminds them again that he's going away, and they do not understand what he is talking about. Jesus proceeds, and he encourages them again to ask things of God. And I was explaining that this is an opportunity for them to get to know themselves. They can get to know their God. But in connection with what he said regarding the role of the Holy Spirit, they would learn more about what our God has to offer. And this would change the way that they would make their requests to God as they would grow to understand what he has to offer, which truly is himself. Our requests of God as we grow and mature will conform more to what he genuinely has to offer us. And I'll explain this more in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.